Welcome back to the 2022 High On Film Awards. Once again, here are your hosts, Chris Maxwell and Brad Davis. It is said that tragedy plus time equals comedy. Well, sometimes a script plus actors, directors, and editing can equal a comedy as well. The nominees for Best Gut Buster are Bad Trip, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, Don't Look Up, Red Rocket, and Coming to America. And the Felix goes to Bad Trip. A kinder, gentler jackass with a plot. Congrats to Eric Andre for the win. To paraphrase the great Nicole Kidman, we come to this next category to cry, to care, because we need that, all of us. Somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. An award show? (laughs) The nominees for Best Tearjerker are Belfast, Tick Tick Boom, West Side Story, King Richard, Coda. And the winner is Coda. Marley Matlin has an Oscar. Troy Coetzer has an Oscar. And now they both have a high on film award. In even greater honor, we're sure. <laughs> From Los Angeles, California, it's High on Film. Tonight, we've got Amy Wilk and Coda. You know why God made farts smell? So deaf people could enjoy them too on tonight's episode. Welcome to High On Film's sobering talk about movies and part two of our Oscar Spectacular. I'm Chris Maxwell, your host, and today we're watching the best picture of the 94th Academy Awards, Coda. From the year 2021, directed by Sean Hader, written by Sean Hader, uh, based off a French film, La Famille Belliere from 2014, uh, written by Victoria Bedos. Stanislas Carré, de Myberg, Eric Latargan, <laughs> and Thomas Beidegain. All very easy to say French names. Of course, CODA, an acronym for chi- Children of Deaf Adults, not to be con- confused with ACOD, Adult Children of Divorce, the 2013 Adam Scott vehicle. Anyway, enough about Adam Scott. Let's get to the man right to my left the podcaster of disaster, the co-host from the couch, and the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Hi, Chris. Hey, Brad. How's it going? (laughs) Good. I'm so glad you clarified that this wasn't the 2013 Adam Scott movie. Uh, Otherwise, crowd would have just been lost. It's an anagram. It's very easily confused. Yeah. Anagrams, acronyms, they're all over the place. Yeah. Well, both. I mean... CODA and ACOD are anagrams for each other, but they're both acronyms for different things, I believe is how it goes. Unless I'm... Okay. Unless that's reversed. It's definitely an acronym. 
I, no, I'm saying, yeah, well, yes. sure. I think it's both for okay. each other, but I think you need both to be happy best picture day. <laughs> there we go. No, let's get caught up in the weeds on that. <laughs> That's better. Oscar Spectacular. That's super entertaining. We like to talk about the English language here on the Oscar Spectacular. High on film, of course. Brad, you watched the Oscars. What'd you think, man? Boring. Nothing really exciting happened. I know. Uh, well, nothing, nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> nothing big. I don't really even know what to talk about. Yeah. Um, actually, I thought the Oscars were pretty, pretty aside from the the slap heard around the world. Uh, I actually thought the awards themselves were pretty predictable. Yeah. Um, kind of everything that everyone was thinking would win categories basically won. So there was really no big surprises. How do you feel about this picture, Coda? How do you feel? Do you do you like this as a best picture winner? I think it's a weak best picture winner overall. Uh, I, I think it's probably worthy for this year, and I understand why it won. I think it's um, I think it's kind of a weak year for movies in general, at least as far as the Oscar type films. Um, but I, I think it's a, a lovely movie, a very well done movie. The, the ending is beautiful, but ultimately, I mean, it's not like egregious, but I just think like, yeah, it's not, it's not going to go down as one of the best movies ever or anything. Yeah. I, I put it in the same category as kind of like Slumdog Millionaire and the Artist, where it's like best movie of the year, probably not, but it's, I understand why I got it that year. It's kind of uplifting, you know, it's, it's more of a heartwarming thing. It's not as like offensive as say like a green book or a crash when they win. And you're like, oh my God, what a disaster that this piece of garbage got best picture. Like this one I'm <laughs> totally fine with. Although I, I honestly would have put a number of uh, the nominees ahead of this, but we can get to that later. Yeah. It, in retrospect, for as much as like Dune won, it's kind of crazy that that wasn't more of a best picture front runner, but I, it's just not that kind of movie. Well, and it's only part one. They're going to Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson it. So when Dune part two comes out, then I think Denny Villeneuve gets director and picture for the, we'll the achievement of two. Yeah, I'm not convinced of that. Let's get to our guest today. She is a high on film first timer, a hilarious sketch comedian, and has a popular TikTok populated with fantastically outrageous characters. She's also our good friend. It's Amy Wilk. Welcome to the show, Amy. Hey, how are you guys? Excited to be on. Oh, so good. Thank you for asking. So excited <laughs> to have you. Uh, we've been trying to get you on for so long. It feels like a year or two that we've been trying to get you on the show now. I know, hard to get. Playing hard to get. <laughs> Is that what it was? You were like nothing less than the Oscar spectacular, than the biggest yeah. episode of your podcast the mm -hmm. entire year long. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm going for. So, yeah. Go for excited the gold. I get it. Go for the Oscar gold. Ah. And we did what we had to do to get you on. So <laughs> welcome. Amy, did you watch the Oscars? I did. I did. I love them. I, I, I love the Oscars. It is like, I don't know, just a high point of the year. I like to watch them. They always make me cry for whatever reason. I don't know. I think maybe the first speech, I was like, oh, my God. Already tears. Uh, Ariana DeBose, definitely. I think that oh, was maybe yeah. the first Great speech. speech. And oh, yeah. Oscar winner, Troy Kotzer. Kotzer? Uh, I broke down at his supporting actor speech. Uh, so very good. When he talks about how his dad was the best signer in their family and then his dad's paralyzed from the neck down, I 
I, I, I had to watch the next morning. I was busy that night, but I, it was like 10 a.m. and I was just bawling in my living room by myself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can imagine that. I can imagine that. But that was gorgeous. Yeah. So happy for him. Yeah, this movie, I think the, the most deserving award this movie got was for his performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also did win adapted screenplay and picture. Uh, how do you feel about that? Did you Was this your pick for best picture? It was not um, solely because I hadn't seen it yet, unfortunately, <laughs> which is so sad. Um, so it was kind of interesting watching it post, like, um, like knowing that it won Best Picture. So I was thinking, you know, like, oh, there's so much hype around this movie. Is it really going to live up to it when I was watching it? So I and don't know. Did it? Uh, and it did. It did. Okay. Um, it did. I, I lip. I. I cried a lot, clearly. Um, I cry at everything, but um, it was gorgeous. And at first I thought maybe it was like kind of slightly predictable, mm-hmm. but, um, I and I hate to say that, but I think there were just like beautiful, heartfelt moments of it that made it feel so yummy and delicious. Yeah, a little, a little, very good throughout, a little generic, but then, man, I, it just wallops you at the end, I think, mm-hmm. with just some great scenes, which we'll definitely discuss. Well, listeners, if you haven't seen this movie, I think it's only streaming on Apple Plus right now. So sign up for your free month and watch this movie and maybe Ted Lasso and then cancel it. Uh, whatever you have to do. <laughs> I'm not here to shill for Apple. But if you don't want to do that, maybe you watch this movie. Maybe you were one of the early adopters and got to see this movie straight out of Sundance, I think is where it came from. And maybe you need a little reminder. Or maybe you said, you know what? Screw the Best Picture winner. I'm not going to watch it, but I want to listen to this podcast. And mostly it, because it's tradition. Brad and I have prepared a little movie trailer to remind you of this film. Here it is. In a world where fresh fish don't have the same market value as they used to have. No one's getting paid what their catch is worth. One family tries to take matters into their own hands by cutting out the middleman and selling the fish themselves. Is there a question? To do so, they'll need to rally the entire fishing community. There's only one problem. They don't feel accepted because... With the exception of their daughter, they're deaf. You're the, the girl with the deaf family? Everyone but you? Meet their daughter, Ruby Rossi. She's a typical teenage girl who wakes up at 3 a.m. to fish with her father and brother. They made my latte with some kind of disgusting nutmeg this morning, so I'm in the mood. She had her whole life planned out until her inspirational yet stern choir teacher discovers that she has a gift. Choir? Be high? It's my favorite thing. But when the family business is put into jeopardy, will Ruby set aside her dreams for her family? I can't always be that person. Please tell them their daughter is very talented. And they're making a terrible mistake not sending her off to school. Apple Original Pictures presents the 2022 Best Picture. You're talking to the waiter like a total baller. (laughs) Then you ordered two beers. I thought it was so cool. Emilia Jones, Eugenio Derbez, Daniel Durant, and Oscar winners Marley Matlin and Troy Kotzer. The film club. Also known as put your backpack down and go smoke a bowl. 
How do you feel when you sing? I don't know. It's hard to explain. There are plenty of pretty voices with nothing to say. Do you have something to say? Every family has its own language. Suck my dick! <laughs> that, that's from him, not me. Coda. What? Just a heartwarming, heartbreaking film in all the right ways. Ah, love it. And now it's time for trash. Star. Destroy. That's right, it's Trash Star Destroy, the first game of the podcast. A, a veritable fuck Mary kill of films, if you will. We're going to give you three films of a similar ilk and ask you to make the hard decisions. You're going to have to trash one of those films, which means it's eliminated from existence. You'll get the star in one of those films, in whatever role you see fit to take for yourself. Let your ego be as big as you want. Or as small as you want. It doesn't matter. I don't care. It's your decision. And then the third movie then must be destroyed, which means that the only version of that film that has ever existed has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi fame. <laughs> so let's do, we were, we were talking about it uh, just, or, just before, just earlier. God, it was two minutes ago. Amy, before you saw Coda and, and it, before it was awarded Best Picture, what did you want to win Best Picture? Well, I know this is kind of controversial, <laughs> but I I thought um, Power of the Dog would win. Oh, you guys! I thought that was going to win too. That was my pick to win, and I, honestly, what I wanted to win that or West Side Story. I was kind of almost fifty fifty, but probably what Power of the Dog was like fifty five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like really enjoyed Power of the Dog. I watched it twice. And the second time through, I just got so much more from it. There's just like so much like subtle brooding stuff going on. Um, I know a lot of people couldn't get through it. Like they just stopped. They didn't watch it. And like the best part is like the last 10 minutes. Definitely. (laughs) 100%. You got to power through it. but Got to power the dog through it. Yeah. But so good. That's what I... I kind of thought was going to get, but I didn't know about Belfast. Wasn't that on there? It was on yeah. there. Yeah. Was not, certainly was. not my pick. Uh, well, maybe that makes it easy for you. Maybe it doesn't. What if we trash Star Destroy three other 2021 nominees? And those three will be The Power of the Dog, West Side Story, and Dune. <laughs> trash, Dune. Star, Destroy. I want to I want to destroy <laughs> Dune. Um I want to destroy Dune. Final answer. Um wow. I did not know that it was going to be Lord of the Rings style. More is coming, so maybe I need to get on board. But, Do it. Um, Dune it. I, I couldn't get through it. I don't know. I got like a Oh, the best part's the end. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Okay. No, the best part's all the way through. I Dune is my favorite movie of last year. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, it's like just hard adult sci-fi, just done so well, and Denny Villeneuve just shoots the hell out of everything he makes, and I I just I'm a big old sucker for that. 
Well, I mean, it was like gorgeous and obviously they put a ton into it, you know, um, that I, I couldn't get through the worms. I don't know. Okay. Sandy worms. Well, then what are you trashing and what are you starring in? <laughs> I'm going to star in West Side Story. So I love a musical, love a movie musical. So definitely West Side Story. You know, maybe not, you know, Latina, but. Well, sure. Okay. It, it would be quite a shame to actually get racially correct casting and then <laughs> just go right back. <laughs> and, then, you know, put like a Italian, Polish, American up there. Yeah. No, I don't know if that would go over, but. Yeah. So then you're trashing Power of the Dog. No. Oh, shoot. No. Oh, yeah. See? Uh-oh. This is why it's so tough. This oh, is no. why it's so tough. Mm. I thought it was Smash or Pass, like kind of like only two options, but no. Got it. Um. Okay, okay, okay. Because West Side Story isn't working out culturally for me. <laughs> um. I'm just, you know, the stand. <laughs> like bystander in that movie but uh yeah empower the dog would love to be you know psycho kristen dunst like you know Mm. she's just like losing it yeah she was great in that she was great in that she's always great very surprised i would i don't know like i don't know i guess i have like bring it on in my head and um spider-man obviously but like I i didn't expect her to be so good in it she was fantastic brad I'm debating between starring in Dune or West Side Story. And I think I can't pass up the opportunity to work with Spielberg. Now, granted, I don't have the voice Ansel Elgort has, obviously. But to get his boring ass out of that movie, I will take the role of Tony. Just to get his dipshit face out of there. And then... If I'm starring in West Side Story, I guess I'm trashing Power of the Dog and giving Dune to Bay. I mean, that just fits better. I don't think a, the, the movie with the subtlety of Power of the Dog would work at all for Bay. It might be more interesting to see like how much he can like make, you know, take away any subtlety from that movie. But Dune, while a much lesser movie, obviously, in his hands would play a little more. Uh, to his strength. So that's what I'm doing. Okay. Solid. Yeah. This is, this is a real tough one for me. I want to be, I want to star in all three of these movies pretty badly, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Typical, typical. Yeah, I know. Typical, typical white guy. Uh, um, (laughs) Yeah. Although I wouldn't star in Power of the Dog. If I starred in Power of the Dog, I'd probably take Jesse Plemons role. So (laughs) secondary, but West Side Story, I'd definitely take Tony. Because I've wanted to be in West Side Story all through my high school musical days. Not high school musical, but like high school musicals. <laughs> we were all thinking high school musical. You're yeah. such a huge fan of high school musical. Chris <laughs> 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 loves it. I, the, the, the movies, the series. I'll yeah. take the, the touring concert show. <laughs> you got a Zac Efron vibe. Finally, I've finally, someone picks up on it. The third <laughs> one's the best. I've heard Chris say that so many times. You can't beat the third one. <laughs> but for the sake of argument, I am going to star in Dune. I'm going to take Timothy Chalamet's part. Mostly because I like Chalamet. I just want to work with every other person in that cast so much more than Timothy Chalamet. I mean, Oscar Isaac is one of my favorite actors going these days. Josh Brolin, I have a huge man crush on. 
I've never found Jason Momoa so charismatic as he is in Dune. Not to mention Zendaya uh, and yeah. oh, uh, Javier Bard, Oscar nominee Javier Bardem, and yeah. that um, cast, Rebecca Ferguson, Rebecca Ferguson, and I get to work with Denny Villeneuve, also one of my favorite directors. Going so, starring in Dune. Oh, and then what to do? I boy, this this sucks. This really sucks because I think what happens is I have to trash Steven Spielberg's West Side Story which is my favorite Spielberg movie in 10, 15 years. I think it's his best work in 10, 15 years. And it also, again, it's the one with the racially correct casting, which is a nice thing. But I just think Michael Bay has a better chance of making a better Power of the Dog than he does a West Side Story. So that's what I'm doing. Michael Bay is the Power of the Dog. Mm. I've always wanted to see a Michael Bay musical. I will say that, but I understand your choice. <laughs> yeah. I understand your choice. I know. I'm sorry, West Side Story. I, I do think you should be the new cinematic standard over the old one. Okay, let's do one more category of Trash Star Destroy. I mentioned earlier, Coda won not only Best Picture, but Adapted Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor. So let's do three Oscar-nominated films, Oscar-winning films, that won all three of those categories. We'll do the movie we just watched, Coda. We'll do, only from a few years ago, the award-winning Moonlight. And I think we're, oh, some 40-odd years away from this guy. The Godfather, part two. Godfather two, Moonlight, Coda. All winners of picture, supporting actor, and adapted screenplay. Trash, star, destroy who okay this is rough because i think moonlight is a perfect movie and i love godfather too not as much as godfather but i love both of those movies a ton and coda is wonderful i can't pass up the opportunity to be a part of the godfather universe <laughs> i just can't and i also don't fit well into moonlight anyway so I'm going to star in Godfather 2. I'm taking the De Niro role. Yes, Brad, I was hoping <laughs> to do this. Taking the De Niro role. He won a supporting actor for it. I'm a young Vito Corleone. I'll yeah. learn to speak Italian. And I, I thought he was a young Brando. Totally. I, <laughs> I, I've, heard, I've heard that comparison before. You've got the seriously. build. you got the shoulders for it. Thank you. The broad shoulders. In which case, Moonlight, unfortunately, has to be trashed. I'm not letting Michael Bay near that m movie at all, which I'm so sorry, Barry Jenkins. It is an absolute masterpiece of a movie, but I have to trash it. And therefore, Coda goes to Michael Bay, which is a bummer, um, but I can't, can't do it any other way. So that's my answer. Uh, I think I'm ready to give Moonlight to Michael Bay because the one thing it has going for it is that it's set in Miami. It's true. That's true. <laughs> so Michael Bay can do that. Because I think I also have to star in Godfather 2. I don't know who I'm... I don't even know where to begin with who to be. Lee Strasberg. Sure. Yeah. All right. I'll take it. Is Abe Vigoda in Godfather 2? Is he just in the first one? I think he's maybe in a flashback in 2, but he's yeah, yeah. just in the first one, I think. Yeah. 
I'll just I'll I'll put in you know what the shoe polish in the hair and some cotton balls in the mouth and I'll do the hey look I can play an Italian guy for the for Robert Evans and just like Brando did and I'll get cast in Godfather too I'll just be an extra I don't need to be anybody uh, and then go. yeah unfortunately trashing Coda sorry Coda I'll I'll gush about you later <laughs> Amy uh, I clear wait so what why does it go to Michael Bay I don't understand that because sorry. it's being destroyed. Okay, got it. He has a uh, a he reputation for things. explosions in his movies. Ah, uh, And it. for not making the best movies. Yeah, got it. Okay. Some uh, more than others. Yeah, he picked in the late 90s. The Rock and Armageddon, I think, are arguably yeah. masterpieces. <laughs> arguably being the <laughs> prime word there. Oh, Armageddon. Oh, yeah. God. Um, don't want if I could, yeah. see me. <laughs> Should we just all sing the song? Yeah, I the, the podcast. Dolls. I'm not a uh, fucking Aerosmith. Yeah. Oh, like, you were you singing Iris from yeah. Singing Avengers? Yeah. No, you what's fucked the other it song? Up. <laughs> the worst. Come on, Chris. Yeah, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I'm gonna get near, far, wherever <laughs> you are. Turn off your microphone. You're out. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Um, Bruce Willis. That was his pinnacle where he should have just ended it from there. But... <laughs> he should have actually died on that asteroid. <laughs> what a way to go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, on the on top. On top. Literally. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There'd be statues of Bruce Willis everywhere if he went out like that. Yeah. And maybe Ben Affleck. Cut it off from there. Eh, Argo's all right. Yeah, That's yeah, another yeah, movie yeah. where I'm like, yeah, okay, best picture, sure. <laughs> good, well, good one. What's one that's out now that's like, oof. Oh, um, te- uh, Tender Bar? Or no, mm, that one and, deep no, Deep Water. Yeah, deep water, that's the deep sexy water. one. Deep one. Yeah. 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 She's hot. I haven't watched <laughs> it yet. I'm curious. Try try it. See how you feel. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I just need some free time, Amy. I will. I'll come try. <laughs> Fine. Okay. Okay. Be busy. Um, I'm gonna be super busy in Godfather Two. Um, <laughs> as Diane Keaton. Nice. Roll. Um, Good roll. It's K. Um, so yeah. So that's what I'll be doing. And um, I would. Uh, I love Moonlight, and I think it was so good and powerful but i kind of would like to see explosions in it which i don't know no maybe hey i i gave it to michael bay i don't know it's he in would miami it, though he would it? destroy it and it well, would be, be so a total um turd nugget but um <laughs> so yeah that and then coda what are we doing with coda i think you're trashing it oh bye Bye, Coda. Bye, Coda. Bye, Coda. Sorry. All right. And bye, listeners. Well, only for a minute, because that's Trash Star Destroy for another week. And we're going to take a quick break and be right back with all the Coda praise you can handle when we get to scene work after this. If you're like me, your two favorite Oscar wins were Coda for Best Picture and Riz Ahmed for producing a live-action short. And I'm sure you don't need anyone to tell you about the 2020 Best Picture nominee, Sound of Metal. 
Not as metal as it sounds, Riz Ahmed plays a drummer and recovering addict who begins to lose his hearing. Ditched by his band, his life spirals until he meets Joe, played by Paul Reese, an actual coda who serves as mentor and therapist through this major transition in his life. Any other year, Ahmed could have won an Oscar, and the award-winning sound design is one of the best you'll hear. Music was his world, then silence revealed a new one, Sound of Metal. Beans, beans, the musical fruit. The more you eat, the more you toot. These next nominees are so good, you'll swear they were on an all-bean diet. The nominees for Best Use of Music in a Film are So May We Start, Annette Boho Days, Tick Tick Boom America, West Side Story 96,000, In the Heights And Downtown, The Last Night in Soho And the Felix goes to Tick Tick Boom, Boho Days Break out the lasagna and throw away those Mondays because it's Garfield's night tonight. This is the fourth Felix an Andrew Garfield film has won this evening. Just an incredible year for him. Movies can bring us to all corners of the globe, enlightening us to a variety of unique perspectives. Everything from a terrible mother to a terrible father to a terrible mother. A tortured artist to a tortured princess. These are your nominees for Best Oscar Clip in a Movie. Olivia Coleman, The Lost Daughter. Will Smith, King Richard. Penelope Cruz, Parallel Mothers. Andrew Garfield, Tick, Tick, Boom. And Kristen Stewart, Spencer. And the winner is... Penelope Cruz, Parallel Mothers. You know, Brad, I hear her husband, Javier Bardem, is already making a sequel, Perpendicular Fathers. And that's the solid gold comedy you can only find at the High on Film Awards. And we're back. A Dinosaur Story. That's an animated movie from the 90s that we're not talking about today. We're talking about the Best Picture winner of 2022, Coda. And it's time to dig in. So, guys, here come probably some spoilers. I know I'm talking about the end eventually. It's time for scene work. Of course, we're an optimistic podcast. If that wasn't uh, already readily available to your knowledge. Uh, So we'll start off optimistically with... Best scene. We're going to rank our top three and bottom three scenes. Uh, Of course, right now, the top three. Start at three. Best scene. Number three, best scene. What do we got, guys? For me, the third best scene in the movie is the concert uh, where Ruby performs and her family comes to watch. They do a fantastic job of letting, of seeing it through the point of view of the family. Um, which you don't really get much in the movie of her singing and them not being it. Like you get some of the singing kind of early on in the concert and then it kind of breaks and there's a point where the music cuts out and you're just watching the perspective of her family who is deaf and just them watching other people watch and basically trying to take in through that 
how people are perceiving the performance. Um, it's just a really, it's a beautiful scene. Be- the, the songs that are being sang are sang wonderfully. And it just really does a nice job of like putting you into their shoes as far as not, you know, seeing their daughter up there. They even start the scene talking about, oh, she looks so pretty. And like, it's all visual you know, visual comments from them. And then to be able to have the sound cut out and just really sit with them as their daughter does the solo she's been working the whole movie on, I thought was just kind of a beautiful, it's really a beautiful scene. Yeah, I, that was actually on my list. Um, the sound design choice to just like vacuum out all of the audio was so beautiful and powerful. And I was just crying again specifically in that because it just put you into their life and how they're experiencing the world. And I thought that was really, really powerful. Yeah. And so well done. You've heard the song two or three times now through their practice and you hear her sing it beautifully. So the choice to cut out the music, the, the, all the audio whatsoever is, is, you know, great. Um, and yeah, like you said, Brad, you see it through their, their eyes. So you get to see the couples holding each other a little closer. You see Gertie's eyes kind of welling up and her holding the brother's hand a little tighter. You see like the older woman kind of like crying. It's, it's really such a beautiful, beautiful moment. Uh, I agree. That's my number three as well. Number two or wait, no, Amy, what's your number three? Because you said that's on your list. Oh, that was was your number three. three. I'm sorry. I should have said it was my number three. It was like, (laughs) so we all had the same number three. You had my thing. Sorry. I'm wondering if that's going to continue here because it was pretty easy (laughs) for me to go one, two, three, but I wonder about the order of these next two. So number two, what is it? I'll go. Cause it's going to ruin it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my number two was um, the scene between um, her and her dad when she's singing for him on the back of the truck bed. After um, the concert. After the concert, you know, he he's kind of, you know, pulls back and says, you know, I need to get some air. And she waits with him and he says, like, what's up? And he really wants to experience the vibrations or like the sound of her singing um, and ask her to sing for him. And. Um, it's just really beautiful to watch him kind of, you know, touching her her neck to feel that on her chest. You know, like, what does that sound like? So I like that. I was crying again. <laughs> also my number two. Um, that, yeah, I mean, you nailed it. It's it's beautiful. Like, even when he, like, has his hands on her neck and he, like, closes his eyes at one point mm. just to, like, really feel the music. And that's obviously a huge turning point in the movie. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I saw that in the trailer. I think they had that scene before I'd even seen the movie. And I was like, whew, whatever this is, I can already tell this is going to rock me. Uh, and it did. It's a gorgeous scene, beautifully acted. I, I mean, he probably wins an Oscar for that scene. Uh, and with, of course, I, I not, think so. A hundred percent. That's, that's his not, Oscar scene. And not even, obviously not saying anything, not signing it. He's just there experiencing it and you watch him experience it. It's beautiful. Mm. yeah well I, I hate that i ruined this that's my number one guys that's my number one I, it's I'll, I'll get to my number two when we get into number ones i guess then sure. um but yeah this scene for me is just this is the standout for me it's so tender he troy troy Coatser is so tender and loving in this moment and just him it's, it's the first time you see anyone in the family really 
understand her love of music and get to experience that um, because he asks her what the song's about and she kind of gives him a brief little, you know, summary. But then he asks her to sing it again. He asks her, and even when he says like louder is so interesting for a deaf person to ask for something to be louder mm. um, because he wants the vibrations to be harder. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. I mean, I, this is the moment that just crushed me watching this movie. I've seen this movie twice now and both times I just like, I'm a fountain. Like I just, it, it's so nice. It's, you know, after the concerts, you already have that beautiful victory too. And like, you get that tender moment with the teacher, with Mr. B when he meets them and it's kind of funny. And then he also tells the parents like, well, he doesn't tell them. He tells her, you know, you're making a terrible mistake by not sending your daughter off to school. And she doesn't translate to it, that to her parents. And it's like all these, like, Oh, you know, she's just barreling towards not going to college and not pursuing her dreams. And then, so to see her dad have that turn here where he's like, now I understand why you love this. Now I, I'm taking an interest in what you're doing in the only way I can. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous scene. Uh, so number one then has to be <laughs> the audition, the, right? Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The audition. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Someone take it away. Um. Well, I, I think it's, it's, it was very close for these two for me between the truck scene and this one. I think this one for me, Watching this a second time, for some reason, this one hit me. I was more emotional watching this scene this time than the other two. Mm. And I love that it brings everyone together. Like the teacher, Mr. Uh, Bernardo shows up to like, oh, she forgot her sheet music. He plays the piano. And when she starts a little slow, he messes up on purpose to like give her that restart. Um, and then as her, the evolution of her performing and doing the audition notices her family, she starts signing to them in the scene. It just, it's beautiful. And she crushes the song. What is it? A Joni Mitchell song. Yeah. Clouds. Both sides now. A gorgeous song that she just kills. Um, yeah. I mean, Amy, you can speak on it more too. It's awesome. No, it's so beautiful. Like, um, it almost became like a performance just for them. Um, Mm -hmm. It felt like, I mean, obviously she was kind of looking at them and the people who were, you know, um, listening to her kind of look up in the balcony to be like, what are you looking at? Um, Yeah. The one guy does that like real obvious turn of like, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Mind your own business. Pay attention to her. She's auditioning for college. Exactly. And I was like, you know, they never let you sing that long at all. But anyways, (laughs) (laughs) Point. That is not That's a hilarious the, point. the point, but um, it was beautiful and amazing. And I really loved her voice. That was a thing throughout the movie. I was like, oh, my God, it's such an interesting voice. And that they were able to experience it through her signing. It was just beautiful. Yeah, that did make me cry a little extra hard in that scene this this time around. I mean, it might be obvious, uh, but this time around, it really hit me that when she starts signing, they're actually hearing the poetry of the lyrics Mm-hmm. And like he just and they're not hearing any melody. They're just hearing the words as poetry. And it it made me cry a little extra hard the second time around, actually, when that when that that I don't know why that hit me this time, but it, it did. And I was like, oh, these lyrics are so gorgeous. I mean, of course, Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just like I was like, oh, and they're hearing these now for the first time. She didn't sign during the concert. She wasn't. Yeah. And she only gave her dad like a one sentence summary. And that was even a different song, I think. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. The- yeah. The duet. 
And she really like come like she's when she restarts, she is performing the song beautifully, but she comes alive when she starts mm-hmm. signing to them. Like it, yeah. it like opens up the song and you see it in her before. She's great in this movie, but like obviously Marley Matlin's great and uh, uh, Troy Kotzer is great, but she is really good in this movie. And she, I feel like her performance is, you know, probably not a, a little swept under the rug just because you know, he was more kind of the focal point of, especially of award season, but mm-hmm. she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like the gravity of what she and like, I guess, Coda kids have to deal with of kind of being, I don't know, the bridge between like, I think he used bridge in his acceptance speech, but you know, he, they become their communicators to mm-hmm. the outside world. And, it was really obvious um, how much pressure she was under and um, but how much obviously that she loved and cared for her family. I don't know that sacrifice that goes with that. I thought was really powerful. Okay. Well, if there's a best scene, I guess that means there's a worse scene. <laughs> Bottom three worst scenes. Number three, what do we got? I mean, most of my, there's this scene, this movie's pretty solid in the sense of like, there's really not obvious worst scenes. Um, third one for me is really just like, uh, my problems with this movie are the conveniences. So like she, all of a sudden, like number three, this is such a small thing. It's so nitpicky, but whenever she's supposed to go to the teacher, she's like supposed to go to, uh, her music lesson. And all of a sudden the mom's like, we have this interview that you have to translate for us. I was just like, yeah. how has this not come up sooner? A hundred percent. Especially with how involved Ruby you? is in this business. Mm-hmm. Right. How did that, how did they book that? Like, I, I just don't email. understand. Yeah, I guess email, that's a good point. But just how would that not have been such a huge thing that they would have been discussing all day that You're they totally would have right. known about? I, I was just like, eh. Again, not like a huge thing, but. It just felt really convenient. Uh, my, my number three is actually a little more conceptual. Mine is just like, I I think I understand it. I absolutely understand it because we villainize these people and I realize because they are stressful people to have around. But when movies do like government regulatory officers as villains, like Ghostbusters mm. has like William Atherton, he's, he's, he's from the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, and he's the villain of the original Ghostbusters. And this is the same way, where like a, fish, a game and fishing commission person is like the villain here who calls in, I mean, that is a, a dick move that she does, where she like calls the Coast Guard to like prove that they can't hear the lights and the radio call. But it's just funny to me that like, you know, we villainize things that are these agencies, which run correctly, should are there for our safety and protection. Uh, I think mine was um, whenever they have to sing "Happy Birthday," like mm. in the beginning. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> and she, Happy birthday, Mr. Bernardo. <laughs> she runs out, and I was like, "Does she not know it? I don't know, because maybe she signs it all the time." But I don't know. It just, and then she runs to the like canyon and i was just like all right okay Mm -hmm. you you can sing we know that this is what this is about so i don't know did love that yeah i i felt like we didn't need to see everybody perform happy birthday and then when she like of course goes off by herself and sings it beautifully i was like okay yeah you nailed Mm -hmm. it but come on 
That was my number two, actually. It is exactly the reason for Brad had for his number three. It's the convenience of it. It's the it's the tropiness of it. Mm. I understand it's like the scene that has to happen in the movie, but they didn't subvert it. They didn't make anything too creative about it. It's it's the very thick, easy trope for the this moment in this film. And I mean my allowance with this, I don't think they're actually truly bad scenes because I think this movie is shot with such warmth and mm-hmm. tenderness that the tropes don't hit as hard. I actually kind of more blame the screenplay actually for the tropes than I do the movie itself. I think the movie kind of glosses over a little bit of the clunkiness or tropiness of the screenplay. I haven't read the screenplay yet, but that's just my interpretation from watching the movie. Yeah, so that's that's my number two. Is the oh, I'm gonna audition for choir. Oh, I can't sing. Don't make me sing, especially after the whole class is gone. Everyone has made a fool of themselves. You have to. I understand there's still nerves, but like, you gotta know that like there's some level of comfort after you watch 15 other people make an ass of themselves. I mean, not all of them. Some of them succeed, but yeah. Well, that's your. Number three, Chris actually plays the mic too, which was oh, the, right. like the observer on the boat scene. Not, I don't have a, it's again, the convenience thing. Like, of course the day she doesn't come on the boat is the day the observer comes on the boat mm-hmm. and that's what like ruins everything. And like they live with her. So how did she get out of working that day? And how did they not realize that that could be a really big problem or if that's the issue, if she can't work, then they should have some, like, I just feel like they would be set up better potentially to like, okay, then we have this person or we have some way, like it just felt yeah. convenient for this ruins everything in the family. Of course, the day she takes off. It's funny you say that actually now, because yes, you're totally right. But now you're going to make me argue against my previous point, which I think the screenplay actually succeeds in this way. Because of course, like, you know, one of the classic screenplay questions is why today right. so it's like yeah why today because it is it's the day the the observer shows up yeah i mean that's even more i feel like more like the beginning of a plot a lot is like why are we dropping in on this moment on this day yeah is that kind of how i've always perceived that that might be totally wrong is the perception but yeah it, look it's a fine scene it plays out well she the observer looks like an asshole and like it, it does a good job of creating another obstacle and more conflict in the movie. Totally get that. Just watching it, I'm like, of course, the day they decide not to, the only day she's not there is the only day the observer comes on the boat. Amy, number two? Did we do your number two? Um, no. Uh, I, I like, this is hard for me because I don't know that they're like the worst, but there was stuff that was like hard to like, ugh. Um, it was the scene between um, her and her mom and they're at the kitchen table and she kind of says she joined choir and she sings and her mom's Mm -hmm. like why what if you're bad you know that kind of thing it's just like i don't know if it was really the worst scene but it was just hard to watch or just like there's just like like why would she do that i don't i don't know maybe she got a complicated relationship with her her mom she says she does yeah that's true um or did i don't know if i don't know it's just like I don't know. She she's so hard on the singing, like so like against the singing that I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. She feels the mom at times, Marley Matlin's character, who I I she was great, 
plays almost a little too mean at times mm -hmm. or like a little too like I don't support you at times mm -hmm. that oh, that borders on unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Like in that scene, she's like, I love this. And like, it's, it, that's the scene too, where she says like, oh, if I was blind, would you p take up painting? Mm -hmm. I think yeah. it's that scene, which good line, but I, I, I agree. <laughs> good, line. good line. But I agree that like she, the consistency of her characters, like, meanness towards her daughter doesn't really is a little uneven in the movie and yeah. i think that scene is kind of one of those where it's like wow you're being such an ass here to your daughter and it almost seems out of character yeah exactly for how close they are it, this movie is the definition of that old saying three good scenes and no bad scenes mm. where they're, they're like you know the 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 baseline for a good movie is three good scenes and no bad scenes, right? So, like, I don't think there's any bad scenes in this movie. I think there's fine scenes. Like we said, they're, they're a little tropey. They're a little convenient at time. But I don't think any of them are bad. And as we clearly displayed, there are three very, very good scenes in this movie. Uh, and it's just very funny how cleanly that fits into that, like, age-old saying. Uh, <laughs> that being said, after I say there's no bad scenes... What's the number one worst scene in this movie? Funny enough for me, the scene where after they have they're caught mm -hmm. having sex and they talk to the son mm -hmm. or talk to the daughter and uh, Miles, Ruby and Miles, and only it is funny only because there is no way if I'm Ruby, that kid is sitting down with my parents and having a conversation right now. A hundred percent. Zero yeah. chance. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, he's leaving. We can talk about this. There is a, a, a negative chance that that kid, <laughs> yeah. if I was in that scenario, that that kid is not walking out of my house right now. I'm like, go home. Sorry. Just we'll talk about it later. Just no chance. And mm -hmm. again, the convenience of like, okay, now you get to have this funny scene of the dad, you know, being super over the top with telling them they got to wear a condom and all that. Like, yeah. And again, kind of a little cliche. We've seen that scene a million times. Um, certainly he plays it comedically and well, but I was like, there is no way in hell this would ever happen where he's sitting down with this family after they were just like, caught having sex just no way yeah i would i would agree with that i would it's not realistic <laughs> no <laughs> or, no yeah so funny scene but i was just like no way no way in yeah. hell yeah oh and brad you just told me today that kid miles is from the kid from sing street yeah i think so yeah connor i think that was his main name in the movie yeah but yeah it's crazy i love that i love that movie didn't recognize him at all amy do you have a number one worst scene Anything that bothered you about this movie the most? I hate, like, hate this. I don't like this. I really okay. It's on record. Negative. You don't like However. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think like the swimming in the canyon water and like the, the quarry, the, you mean? Yeah. What is it? Quarry? Thing? Quarry. Yeah, I think it's a quarry. Quarry. Um, you know, uh, very like romantic-ish. I don't know. Miles was kind of flat to me. I mean, I he had mentioned something like, oh my God, your family is so great. And my family is kind of not like mm -hmm. this, you know, like your family's so loving. And, you know, and she was like, what? But um, I wanted to know more about him or like, what's his deal? He just kind of felt like a little uh, just there. I don't know. Yeah. Eh. Cute, cute. Little romance, but I don't know. 
Yeah, a lot of his backstory is told through exposition. He's just like explaining it to her. So you're not really, it doesn't really feel like you're really getting any insight into his life. And I agree that scene where like, yeah, it's, it's a nice location. Mm -hmm. They have a little chemistry. They kiss. It's all very nice, but something we've seen a million times. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing special about that scene. That log work. I don't know. That seemed fun. Good log work. I mean, I, high praise for the log work. Hard to argue with that. Yeah. Uh, my number one is, uh, again, it's more of a convenience thing. It's a convenience for the movie. It's Mr. V's not understanding of Ruby's, how precious Ruby's time is as well, that he doesn't see how thin she's stretched with her family business, mm. that she isn't open with him about her other commitments. Because it clearly seems like she is. She's texting him like, hey, I'm going to be late. Family thing, blah, blah, blah. He's got to know what kind of a linchpin she is to her family. And his, and I, I think the script actually, or maybe not script, but the movie definitely proves that this is almost a flaw. Because after the big blow up, where he's like, you know, you're undisciplined, you're unpracticed, you're late all the time. That's it for us. The next time we see him, I believe, is at the concert. And she crushes it at the concert and he's just like, oh, you're so talented. I love you. I understand now. There's no resolution. It just happens off screen. And I think that's like, because of course he understands. I mean, he's a teacher and you'd hope a teacher would be able to sit down with like one of his most prized students and go, hey, you're late all the time. And she would, and that she would trust him enough. And you feel like they have this relationship. She's going to his house for private lessons, for God's sakes, that she would be like, hey, my family's not making enough fishing. We just started a co-op. We're trying to rally the whole fishing community. They're all, none of them have no ASL. I'm the only interpreter in the whole town. I have to be here or else my family goes completely broke and loses our boat in our house. And for him to not understand that, like in that one scene or for the first half of the movie is like, uh, okay. I understand he has to for like that, emotional buildup and then the, the the victorious payoff but it just seems it just stretches my you know suspension of disbelief a little further for how understanding and nice mr v is hmm. yeah, yeah mr. i think mr b mr b i think um well yeah, the problem is his initials are b v it's yeah. bernardo villalobos yeah. so i was the whole time like are i saying mr b or mr v <laughs> I do think there's they like come to a conclusion on that when she says the line of like, I've never done anything without my family before. Yeah, I think is what's supposed to mm. like kind of close that up. But I agree. I, I don't love that line anyway, because it feels not motivated in. It's a good line, but like it doesn't feel motivated for what they're talking about. Like mm. the problem right now isn't that she's never done anything with her family without her family. The problem is that she, her family's too dependent on her. And it just, yeah. like, it's fine. I'm nitpicking, but, like, it just feels like, it, it, it makes sense. I'm just saying, like, it just bumped for me a little bit this on this watch. That line pays off when her family sneaks in to see her audition. Of course. End. That's of where course that line it pays, pays off. off. Yeah, yeah. It just feels the build to that moment, and then that line just felt a little like, uh, I feel like this should be... You're saying something else here, not necessarily this. Even if this is true, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel, it didn't feel like the right time to say that. Sure. If that makes sense. The line felt a little out of place. All right, guys. Well, that's scene work. I think we built a great movie. Great job. Yay. Thank Yay. you. Okay. Well, we're on to our 
last game of the podcast. That's right, it's time for Milking It, our favorite game of the podcast. We're going to roll out the big computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000 here in a second, and it's going to provide us with a couple pieces of information for the next game. We're going to take the movie we just watched, Coda, and reimagine, twist, reuse ideas, recast it. We're going to do all the Hollywood magic to, to make it into a brand new movie dictated by the big computer of Hollywood Ideas. That will give us either a director, a star, or a genre in which to, to construct our new film. It will also provide us with a time limit. This is a timed game. You will either be granted an elevator pitch, which is 30 seconds to get out your title and quick summary of your brand new movie. 60 seconds, the water cooler pitch to tell the executives your great idea. Or a minute and a half, a full 90 seconds to go up the elevator to the executive boardroom and make your pitch to the Hollywood bigwigs. So let's wheel out the old computer here and fire her up. Okay, here we go. Brad, the computer has selected you to go first. You're the elevator pitch. 30 seconds. Oh, a director card. We did we did a couple director cards last week. This is this is highly unprecedented how many director cards we're getting these days. Can you do Coda as a Catherine Bigelow film? Well, I can sure try, Chris. <laughs> One of the three female best director Oscar winners. Joining Jane Campion, who was the third this year. Uh, it has me going next. I'm the water cooler pitch. 60 seconds. Okay. Another director card. Wild. Wild, wild stuff. Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> also, Academy Award nominated. Did he win for Shape of Water? Or it's just picture without won. director. I thought he, he won. won director too. I'm pretty sure. Guillermo del Toro. Director of Pan's Labyrinth, Shape of Water, The Devil's Backbone, more. All right, Amy. Uh, I love the movie more. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. That's that's a Brilliant Jordan movie. Peele movie to come. <laughs> so true. Okay, Amy, Will, you get the boardroom pitch. You're going all the way up to the big wigs. Oof. A minute mm-hmm. and a half. Oh, here we go. This is interesting. <laughs> You'll be giving us a Coda prequel. Ooh, okay. Okay. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break to get our ideas together, and we'll be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment after this. Brad Davis, you've got the elevator pitch. 30 seconds to get Coda out as a Catherine Bigelow film. We're going to get a title (laughs) and a quick summary from each one of us, and you're up first, my friend. Are you ready? Mm, Sure. I love the confidence. That's so much confidence. Confidence at an all-time high. All right. Here we go. You're, uh, where you, oh, elevator. Yeah, you stepped in the elevator. Oh, the studio executive just stepped in there with you. You both, you probably hit different floors, but the doors close and go. 
Ruby's a rookie FBI agent who's asked to infiltrate a family of fishermen who are expected of robbing banks. She's chosen because she knows sign language, and at each robbery, they're realizing the robbers aren't speaking, and they think, uh, even though they're so well choreographed, so they believe that they are deaf. In the climax, she's chasing them by boat, and they crash into a huge wave, perfect storm style, and they die. Uh, in the movie... <laughs> Hoda, hunting of deaf deaf adults. Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> I mean, I like the concept of the movie. We need to work on that title. Hunting I, of deaf adults. Yeah, she's hunting them. I she's hunting. She's the FBI agent. It's just not an acronym we want to catch on. I feel like is all. Definitely not. I did it mostly because of Hoda from. <laughs> from the morning um, show or today mm-hmm. show okay because nothing else was actually like flowed together as an acronym fair enough i also had arresting deaf adults but you should have went acod arresting children of deaf adults <laughs> like the adam scott vehicle from 2014 uh, right but it's not she's not that there's not children yeah all right she's hunting adults Take it up with your producer, man. <laughs> I'm next. I got the... Oh, I, I, I do have the confirmed best director for... A, your Oscar winner for achievement in directing, Guillermo del Toro. Mm. Correct. Mm-hmm. For, for the water cooler pitch for Shape of Water. 60 seconds to get out my pitch. <clears throat> Here we go. As a del Toro f- film. And we'll go. All right. A deaf fisherman catches a merman accidentally. And he's in bad shape. He brings him home to his mostly deaf family and they nurse him back to health. Their daughter, uh, distanced from her family as the only one with hearing, bonds with their merman over her love of music and singing and the creature's uh, lulling whale coos and calls. Of course, the town finds out about the merman. They are none too happy about it. They're afraid of such a creature, uh, even though he seems to be, you know, mostly gentle. Uh, Eventually, the daughter finds the courage to pursue pursue her musical dreams, and the creature escapes the hateful town and finds freedom back in the ocean in The Shape of Water 2, The Sound of Music. (laughs) Okay. I love it. Two Oscar-winning films smashed together. How can you go wrong? I was expecting that to be much worse. You played it up like it was, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Off mic, I played up my title being bad. Yeah, oh, so, yeah off mic. That was brilliant, brilliant. Wow. Oh, thank you. Well, brilliant. I, well, I'll, I mean, I'll take that compliment, but I think you're being too kind. Your title's much better than mine. I'll give you that. <laughs> I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> Amy. Oh, man. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> the boardroom pitch. Sure, sure. You're sure, in front sure. of the big dogs. Okay, the big guys. 90 seconds. You can, and, you know, go shorter if you need to. It's okay. <laughs> Leave them wanting more is what they say. Oh, yeah, exactly. The prequel to Coda. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so the prequel to Coda starts in an explosive scene where a woman is going into labor. So we're in the delivery room and she, you know, a baby is coming out. Um, there's some complications and we don't know what's happening, but the baby does come out and she ends up getting <laughs> all hooked up um, to wires. And, and we go, you know, flash forward and backwards from this scene. This kind of scene becomes the through line. 
um, as we were trying to understand a little bit about the mom, we flash back to hearing that, you know, she is, um, you know, uh, Jackie Rosie and, you know, she's a deaf woman and we learn about her family and her relationship with her mother. And we learn how she meets Frank and they have their first child you know, maybe in the, the like early 90s, Leo's born and we see how amazing their life is. But then we flash back to the delivery room and we're, we have this new baby and we want to know, is she deaf or is she not deaf? We don't know. They hook her up to the wires. Oh, I don't know. And, you know, you know, um, Jackie thinks that she really wants her child to be deaf. And so we're like, ooh. That's like a little stressful. They hook up the baby up all to these wires and everything. And it's so exciting. Is she deaf? Is she not? And she is not. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Movie's called Ultrasound. Bow. Oh, oh, great fucking title. <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. That's a great title. <laughs> wow. I Man, do. sold in the room, Amy. <laughs> fucking floored. What? That is great. Yeah, that is great, Amy. Legitimately, that is <laughs> bravo. Wow. I, oh, just uh, another. Ju- I mean, I'm shamed, entitled them after that. Ultrasound, <laughs> ultrasound. You're shamed. How do I feel? That's the double <laughs> meaning. Yeah. Just like uh, Coda. Oh. Holy moly, man! Well, Amy wow. just sold her movie. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that's done. Brad Miser in development hell. I think. We're- <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, we're trying to attach a we're trying to attach a director. Nobody really <laughs> oh, is interested. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, but wow, Schneider's not going back for hours. She's she's <laughs> pitching her her clout to Amy's wagon here. <laughs> wow. No. Well, I mean, we used to have winners and losers of milk in it. We did away with that, but I think today we have a clear winner. So congratulations, Amy Wilk, on oh winning milk in it. Thank yeah. you, yeah. thank you so not, much. Not even close. You guys are yeah. great. You're great. Oh, you're again too kind. <laughs> Guys, that's the podcast. There's oh only God. one last thing to do. And that's Brad Davis. You just watched Coda. What are you gonna do next? I still have a couple movies to watch that were nominated this year that I haven't. The main one being Nightmare Alley. I know Chris, oh. you were a fan. It's been pretty polarizing. I just I had a friend of mine uh text me this weekend that uh, talking about it because he really didn't like the first half but really like the second half um so i i still want to get to that so i'm gonna i'm gonna watch nightmare alley it's very i love a good noir brad i think you're gonna love it i i hope you do i i know i've i've come across a lot of people who are either love it or hate it and it's i very uh, polarizing but i i enjoyed it very much i've watched it twice now and i i still love it okay excited amy wilk you just watched Coda. What are you going to do next? <laughs> I still have to watch um, Eyes of Tammy Faye, which oh, I really want to yeah. see. Um, Jessica Chastain. Uh, oh, my God. Um, loved her, that, you know, they won for hair and makeup. Yeah. Right? I mean, oh it makes God. sense. And Chastain, yeah, wins as well. I mean, she's she's great. And Andrew Garfield, who I actually wanted to win Best Actor this year. Uh, he's terrific in it as well. Oh yeah, Me he's too. the husband. Yeah, wow, exciting. So I gotta watch that. Like, I'm a great character piece too for her. I wouldn't have like pegged her as a character actress personally. I don't know. She was great. Also, um, because of Coda, I got Apple Apple TV, <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, 
Ted Lasso. I got a lot to watch. I got a lot to catch up on. Okay. Anyways, also, I've got a couple shows coming up, one of which is April um, 20th um, at Westside Comedy Theater in Santa Monica at eight. It's a sketch comedy show with our, our sketch group called Grifter. And that's going to be great. That's coming up. On that. A 420 show, huh? Yeah, exactly. Ooh. Super straight edge. Super yeah. straight edge. <laughs> Very on Super. brand for this podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, uh, Brad and I are both big fans of Grifter, so uh, you can count us in for sure. And if you're in the Los Angeles area, please check that out. It's a great, great theater, and uh, undoubtedly, Grifter always puts on a good show. Uh, Amy, thank yeah. you so much for being here. Oh my God. Thank you. Well, what, are you so, gonna do? what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Oh, right. Oh, yeah. What are you going to do? Chris Maxwell, you just watched Coda. What are you going to do next? I almost forgot. I got a lot of things I want to do, actually. Uh, <laughs> so from last week, well, unfortunately, I did not complete the Oscars death race. I did not get to see everything nominated for an Oscar before the Oscars. My one big standout I still want to see is the documentary Yak in a Classroom. I just, I love that title. I got to see this fucking movie about a yak in a classroom. <laughs> it's a, it's a something I got to do. Uh, additionally, last week uh, we did Fargo and that set off a whole 1996 thing for me. Um, and I watched The English Patient. I finished it, I should say. I watched Shine available on a certain app um, about a personal uh, video broadcasting, a veritable... YouTube, if you will. Uh, that ha- We mentioned last week that Shine wasn't available at- to stream anywhere, but it is in good quality in its full length on a certain website. Uh, I love that you danced around promoting that on here, I guess. Are you worried about legality? I don't, I don't need big YouTube red coming down on us, Brad. <laughs> oh, if they're coming down on us, then we're doing something right. Um, that's probably true. Um <laughs> But I, the one I did not watch from 1996 still that stands out, now I have to watch it because I'm compulsive like that, is The Secrets Secrets and Lies, the Timothy Spall movie that nominated for Best Picture in 96. And, of course, I want to watch Children of a Lesser God. I've never seen that. Marley Matlin's Oscar. Uh, I really want to see it in, I mean, for her, I do, did like William Hurt, who also recently passed, um, mm-hmm. but it had also come to my attention that he was physically and emotionally abusive to Marley Matlin uh, during the filming and after that movie. So, oh, shit. Yep, yep. So I'm just something else. But I still would like to see her performance and what she won that Oscar for because I've always, I, I've known her my whole life. I mean, she's been a personality my entire life as far as I can remember. And uh, yeah, I, I've seen very few things she's been involved in, unfortunately. So I'm going to remedy that. So that's what I'm going to do, guys. Uh, if you want... <laughs> You can follow me on social media. I'm at Cross Maxwell. That's Chris with an O in place of the I across your social media accounts, including on Letterboxd, where you can see my list of my favorite movies of every year, including 2021 and now 1996, which, Brad, I know we did best movies of the year or best movie years once for a high on film episode. Did we include 96? Because it's an awesome year for movies. I don't remember. I kind of doubt it but that was a lot that was so long ago we did that it was uh brad any plugs for you sir uh at bd always gp on twitter and instagram and check out death at sunset uh Hell still yeah. available first two seasons uh sunshine noir podcast me and chris did together and uh we are 
trying to get uh, case number three. Uh, we're working on that now. So hopefully a third season here before too, too long. And Amy, do you want to tell everybody your TikTok or Instagram? Sure, or? Yeah, it's uh, Amy Wilk like milk. Um, Wilk like milk. And um, uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, um, growing that audience. And uh, yeah, check me out. Amy Wilk like milk. Boom. And all those links will be in the show notes if you need further explanation. Amy, a damn pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you so much. I love this. This was great. And, you know, it was great to be like the special one. So it was great. Well, we'll have you back (laughs) real soon. (laughs) Definitely. Brad, thank you as always, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. And listeners, we love you. Goodbye. And now, time for the biggest award of the night, the Palme de Verre, our best picture of 2021. Past winners include Judas and the Black Messiah, and that's it. This is only the second time doing it. The nominees are Dune, Spider-Man No Way Home, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story, Drive My Car, The Last Duel, Tick Tick Boom, Nightmare Alley, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and Coda. And the Felix goes to West West Side Side Story. Congrats to everyone involved in that spectacular production, except for Ansel Elgort. You know what you did. And that's our show. Thanks for joining us for another year of movies, and we'll see you next week only on High on Film. High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram or email the show at the High on Film Show at gmail.com.